Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Paul writes to these group of churches of Galatia, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I indeed, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, have you, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you should be consumed by one another. Perhaps you have seen a t-shirt Someone wearing it, it seems popular in recent months, says this, sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of my freedom. Have you seen a t-shirt like that? Sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of my freedom. I think it's become popular because uh, in recent months, in the last year or so, uh, people have felt more encroached upon in their liberties. And certainly COVID has been a big part of that. Uh, And so they're pushing back on that and saying, uh, I have freedom here in America. And some of that freedom is thinking about freedom. Probably, I think part of the antenna of the t-shirt is saying, freedom, I can do whatever I want to do. As we think about freedom, a true understanding of freedom is not so I can do whatever I want to do, but I can do what I should do. That's a good and right understanding of freedom. Freedom is not just an excuse to do whatever I want, regardless of what people around me think or particularly about what God says. But now we have a freedom to do what is good and right. Freedom is not an excuse to be mean-spirited towards our neighbors. Ah, I can do this and they have no say over that. But rather, it is an opportunity to do what is good and right before God. We have freedom in here in America, and I'm very thankful for that freedom. But let's think about the freedom that we have in Christ and what God tells us we should do with this freedom as believers. We have freedom in Christ, and he encourages us, he instructs us, commands us. We should stand fast in the freedom that we have in Christ. We should stand fast in this freedom. Look at the third word of of Verse 1, stand fast 
therefore. So he's concluding things that he's talked about, bringing about some application. And really the first four chapters, Paul has talked through the gospel and its implication for the church and their lives. And he's come about to this conclusion that as believers in Christ, you have freedom, freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the the confines of the law. You are not under the law as a means of restraint. You're not under the law as a means of salvation. You're not under the law as a means of sanctification. Growing, become more like Jesus Christ. You are free. You are free in Christ. And you're to stand fast in this freedom, he says. Don't waver. Don't Move back from this freedom. Don't give up ground and fall back on this freedom. He's going to say the implications of this freedom, but he's saying this isn't the truth of the gospel. If you're saved by grace alone through faith in the finished work of Christ, you are to stand in that freedom that you have in Christ. Well, how do we stand in this freedom? I'm going to look at three different ways in this passage of Scripture this morning that we stand fast in the freedom we have in Christ. And the first way that we stand fast is this. Do not turn to the law for justification. Don't turn to the law for justification. Using this in the sense of being made right with God, don't turn to the law. He says there in verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty, the freedom, by which Christ has made us free, And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back under the law and the yoke, the bondage that it brings, literally slavery that it brings to the law. Because Paul continues on verse 2, if you're going to become circumcised, then Christ will profit you nothing. If you're going to, he's telling you, if you're going to rely on the fact that you are circumcised, that's why you're right with God, you don't need Christ. And we could, we could insert that anything else. If you're going to rely upon your own religious efforts, your own goodness, you don't need Christ. You're relying upon yourself. You can't add something to Jesus and depend on that as well. It's not a religious deed plus Christ. It's Christ alone. Otherwise, you are relying upon yourself. Uh, verse 3, everyone who becomes circumcised, this is for a religious reason to be right with God, they are really becoming a debtor to keep the whole law. You want to keep the law? You have to keep all of it. You can't pick and choose which parts you want to accept. And so he's telling them, you're placing yourselves under the whole law and being bound to that. And by doing so, you become, verse 4, estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified or declared righteous by the law, you have fallen from grace. And that phrase there, you've fallen from grace, he's not saying that you lose your salvation, but if you are trying to rely upon the law for being made right before God, being justified, you don't need grace. You're relying upon the law. Uh, Grace is not what you are depending upon. But true believers, verse 5, are those who through the Spirit of God, they eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. They are trusting in Christ alone, and they're looking forward with confident expectation to being made righteous with God in heaven. 
And they believe that God will bring this about. They know their righteousness, their standing before God is not because of their own efforts. It's because of what Christ has done for them, the innocent Son of God who shed his blood and died on the cross and rose again for them. It's really in Christ, as believers are in Christ, it doesn't matter if they're circumcised or uncircumcised, but faith working through love. This is a genuine faith, a dependence, a trust in Christ alone, but notice what it leads to. It leads to love being demonstrated towards others. This would be in the same line as James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. This is a genuine faith that shows itself through love, love for God, love for others. We'll, we'll pick up with this uh, in just a little bit in verse 13, the application of this. Um, but here this is a, a faith that is living and real. And so he's warning and challenging these believers, you've been saved by faith in Christ. This is what Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says. Knowing that a, a man or a person is not justified, not declared righteous by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, no person will be justified. There he has emphasized someone is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. They're declared righteous through faith in Christ alone, not by keeping the law. So why would we go back under that? Why would we be trying to uh, follow God's law as a means of being made right with God or a means of growing to become more like Christ? That is not living in the freedom that we have in Christ. It is coming unto bondage again. I'd like a, a young person to come up here, please. I still have the yoke, so I'm going to make use of it. Please. <laughs> Anyone? Abby, come on. You've done this before. <laughs> You've done it before. Okay, so one of the things that surprised me about this yoke was how heavy it is. And that's, that's part of the intent of someone smaller, is that if, if they would try to carry this for a while, it would, it would be heavy. And... Uh, I mean, you know, I lift stuff all the time, and this seems heavy to me. But you know what happens if this is, gets put on you? You're bound to it. An animal doesn't put this on themselves. They're bound to this, and they have to continue in wherever the master leads. That's what the law does. It binds us, and we have to continue in that to keep doing it. How much is enough? I don't know. Keep trying. Keep working at it. And God says that is misunderstanding his grace. If you're resorting to your own efforts, even religious deeds, it's going to lead to bondage. Don't resort to that. That's not rightly understanding the freedom that you have in Christ. 
So what about you? Are you depending upon Christ alone for your salvation, that you are right with God? Or are you depending upon your religious deeds? We often don't think of circumcision as what's going to make us right with God, but we might think church um, uh, church attendance or baptism or taking of communion, being a good person. These are things that make us right with God. That's what we can think. But that is not the truth. It is through faith in Christ alone. And I want to challenge you to think through about your relationship with God and be certain that you are trusting in Christ alone as your Savior. And if you are, hold fast to Christ. He is the only way of salvation, the only way for you to be right with God. So that's the first way that we stand fast in the freedom we have in Christ. Do not turn to the law for justification. Secondly, do not listen to false teaching. There in verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And he's going to go on, particularly in verse 10 there, talking about one who has tripped them up, one who has taught elseways, uh, who has confused them with his false teaching. This is what he's addressing throughout the book. And he's saying these churches in Galatia, they'd been doing well spiritually, and then they got this false teaching. Uh, one of the things that you had to become, in a sense, Jewish in order to be right with God, or you had to be circumcised in order to be saved or keep the law. They were getting all this false teaching, and they began to become tripped up. It's like a runner who's running along, and then there's some obstacle in the way, and they trip over that. This is what he's saying for them as believers. They tripped over this false teaching, and now they weren't doing well spiritually. Notice what false teaching does. It is not come from God, verse 8, who calls you to salvation. It doesn't come from God. This false teaching, even a little bit of it, spreads just like a little bit of yeast leavens a batch of bread. You don't need much. Here, this false teaching spreads even a little bit of it. In verse 10, this false teaching will trouble you. False teaching confuses the soul and makes them uncertain. Am I right with God? What about how I should live? What should I do and not do? And then false teaching seeks to make Christianity easy. Look at verse 11. And if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? If I'm teaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, why am I being persecuted? That's not what I'm teaching, but I'm teaching the cross of Christ and look at the end of verse 11. Then the offense of the cross has ceased. The fact that he's teaching it means that there is an offense of the cross that has not ceased. There's a fence that the cross of Christ brings. Religion, often false teachers seek to use religion as a means of how you can have a good life, how you can have all your desires met. And Christianity is based upon Christ crucified a path of suffering, and he calls those who believe in him to die to self and to follow him. It is not an easy life uh, in becoming a Christian, but it is certainly worthwhile and blessed, but there is difficulties in that. 
Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What a joy and delight it is to hear of Christ, our Savior, who is crucified for us, to read with humility, uh, thankfulness, this is what he went through for us upon the cross. Look over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What was Paul boasting in? Christ crucified, the cross of Christ. And so he is challenging them. He's saying these false teachers are trying to lead you away from Christ or lead you away from the cross of Christ, trying to say just do this, this, and this, and you will be right with God. But they are not, they are tripping you up spiritually. You are not to listen to this false teaching. I want you to think about an obstacle course. An obstacle course for you might be uh, the living room when the kids are playing there. An obstacle course might be your shop when you have lots of tools out. Obstacle course might be something that you go out and explore in the woods. But an obstacle course has lots of difficulties, things you have to get through uh, to get to the other end, to the intended goal. Here, picturing the Christian life as an obstacle course, and the obstacles are false teaching. There are countless ways that false teaching has uh, tried to trip up believers and taking new language down through the centuries. It's still there, and it still will be there. But what does he say that we should do? We don't listen to that. Don't get tripped up with that, but rather keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ, if you will, and you'll be able to get through the obstacle course. Keep your eyes upon the cross of Christ, him crucified for you, and you'll be able to discern what is false teaching and what is error, and you'll be able to say, yes, this is the truth. This is who Christ is. This is what he has done for me, and I'm going to cling to that. And so we hold, stand fast to the freedom we have in Christ by not listening to false teaching. Third, to use our freedom to serve others in love. Look at verse 13. For you, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, dear one, through this common bond that we have in Christ, you have been called to freedom. You've been called to this liberty in Christ. You are free from sin. You are free from its bondage. You're free from guilt. You're free from the the law as a means of salvation or sanctification. Do not use liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it as an opportunity to sin. Don't say, well, I'm free. I'm being uh, set free from any of the consequences of my sin or the the penalty of my sin. I can do whatever I want. Saying, you have misunderstood freedom. Christ died to set us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin in our lives so that we would not pursue it in our lives. 
This is where the end of chapter 5 says, goes on to say, don't live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. Walk in the spirit. There are still things that are right and wrong in Christ. And we should not use this freedom that we have to, to serve ourselves, our own desires, to pursue sin in any way, shape, or form, but rather we should use this freedom to serve one another. To serve one another. That phrase, one another, starts with the body of Christ. We have freedom to serve others in the church, the body of Christ. This is why he has saved us, so that we would live for God and live for our fellow believers. That word for serve in verse 13 is actually a word for slave. That's the type of commitment that he says we are to have towards one another is in a sense to become their slave. But certainly it's not to do anything that God would not want that, us to do, uh, but there's a commitment, a devotedness to one another, and we're to serve through love. Love is what to, it should characterize our serving. Perhaps we can see this, uh, well, think about maybe going out to eat with your family, and a waiter, waitress, you can tell if they really enjoy their job and do it really well. And uh, it's a joy for them to serve you your food. And they do things with excellence and are attentive. And certainly any waitress or waiter can have a bad day and things like that. But you probably had some experience where you, they were serving you food and that's about it. <laughs> There was no joy or gladness about that. It's like, here's your food and go on to the next thing. Uh, love does not characterize that. Can we not do the same thing as well as we serve others? There's a lack of love for that. It's seen as a duty, as an obligation, uh, but there's not a joy, a gladness, a compassion towards others that characterizes that serving. Notice that in the wisdom of God, he's not just calling us to this life of service uh, on our own strength, but in his strength, and to not just see this as another duty, another thing to do, but rather out of love for one another to gladly serve them. And if we are to serve, it's going to mean that we give of ourselves, and I say it this way, that we limit our freedom. You can't do everything you want to do if you're going to serve others. You have to limit your time, your effort, your energy to be able to serve others for their good. And this is what Christ has done for us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is how he challenges us and encourages us. When we serve with the right spirit, we're really following in the footsteps of our Savior. Christ came with the sole purpose to serve us. Certainly, in doing so, he glorified God, but his whole life was given over to service. At no point did he say, this is too much. But rather, in love, he gave. This is what characterized, I read this recently, for I am among you as the one who serves. 
Who is the servant? Jesus. He was the one who was known for that, to live that out in his life. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some of the laws relate to loving your neighbor as yourself, saying like, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie against your neighbor. Do you know why he gives those? Because we have a hard time understanding and living out what it really looks like to love our neighbors ourselves. If we really lived that out, we wouldn't need any other laws. We wouldn't need any other commandments to truly love them as a way that Christ would want us to love them, to care about them and to serve them for their good. So he's saying, as, as you do this, as you love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the essence of the law. We could say the moral requirements of the law. You're pleasing God as you love your neighbors yourself. But he gives a warning, verse 15, don't, don't be focused on yourself. Uh, I think this is characterizing the, the works of the flesh, which bite and devour and consume. He says, don't live for yourself, but live for God who loved you, who has set you free from sin and its penalty. And he has set you free so that you will serve others with love. So I want you to think about this. I think some of us need to be challenged to serve God more. That we need to see it, that we need to serve in our lives, to serve at church, in our families, to serve at work, to be known as those who are serving. And then some need to be encouraged in their serving to do so with love. Maybe they're really faithful at it. Maybe they're consistent, but there's a lack of love and a joy in the Lord in doing so. I want to encourage you, if that is where you're at, for you to think about the love of Christ. Because what enables us to love others? It's not ourselves. It's the love of Christ that he has shown for us. As 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We pass on the love that God has shown us through our serving. Love makes any act of service a joy. But without love, serving is a grudging duty. And our freedom in Christ, it's not a license for our flesh to live for sin but it's to use our freedom to serve others in love. So how are you using your freedom? Are you serving? Are you serving others in the body of Christ on Sundays throughout the week? Are you serving in love? What part do you need to be encouraged or challenged in? In to serve in more ways, or to keep pressing on with the right spirit. How does the Lord want you to use your freedom for his honor and glory?